The following audio is from Deering Christian Church. Join us Sunday mornings at 10.15 or check us out at DeeringChristian.org. You know, God has a way of taking things to the extreme. And when we say the word unconditional, um, what, what my... What, this is what unconditional, in, in my mind, this is kind of what it means. It means without limits... It means no matter what. It means undeterred. It means he, meaning God, is going to do what he sets out to do. And because he is God, he's not going to let stuff get in his way. As I've already said, these next few weeks, we're going to look at what God offers unconditionally and what that means for us. To get us really in the mindset of this, though... um, we're going to have to have one of our, one of our favorite uh, psychologists come on board and give us a little advice today about life. Okay, can you, can you do that with me? Um, Tim, why don't you bring that up? Let's get some life advice here. I'm so sorry. Boy, I hate you heard that a lot in the last year or two. It seems like all kinds of folks need to make apologies, board and public apologies if you somebody in the spotlight you know if you like somebody people know like manager piggly wiggly or something that's like a public figure and they do something bad boy they gotta tell everybody sorry don't they i had a lot of experience apologizing over the years and i thought maybe i should share some stuff because it may help people to understand the art of an apology wrong way to do it's like you don't really even apologize you just kind of you're defensive see one thing i did when i was younger is that i ramped my brother Brett's bike into a lake. Boom, like out of way. And boy, you get about that high in the air, boy, you get it where it's going it that way before it goes that way, but it's going that way, like out of way. And then you just bail out of there. So you're going off his side and you're like, woo, look at me. And boy, you hit that water and you swim back to shore. But then I didn't think farther than that. And that thing just sank like a bike would. So I swim to shore and I get out that lake and I'm wetter than a nickel in a rainstorm. And I think I got to get home on foot now. So I'm doing it, I get there, and I'm thirsty. You know, you work up a thirst getting there, and I know Mima keeps warm mellow yellow under her bed, and I thought, I'm going to crack into one of those. So the day just kind of dogpiled on me, because Brett comes home. Where's my bike? What'd you do? And then Mima said, why's my mellow yellow gone? And I have to own up to all, every little bit of it. So I started with Brett, and I said, hey, if you're mad that I stole your bike and ramped it into a lake and it sunk to the bottom, then I guess I'm sorry. I said, no, you don't. You come back when you mean it. You knock that off. You think about what you did and you own it. So I had to get to thinking about it. And then I had to look him in the eye. I couldn't be like this away. I couldn't go lazy-eyed on him or cross-eyed on him or no-eyed on him. That's on me. I'm going to help you get that bike out of the lake. I don't know how, but, you know, where there's a wheel and some duct tape, there's a way. Will you forgive me? That's it. No excuses, no nothing. <clears throat> so then I had to go look Nemo in the eye and say, Nemo, I took that warm melon yellow out from your bed. I was so thirsty when I got home. I cracked that thing open, drank it in about 18 seconds. I steal it. It was raw. Boy, forgive me. Owned up to it. Every last nickel of it. And then I had to take that ice cold melon yellow and walk all the way home with it because I did not have a bike to ride. And I had to leave it out on the front porch till it turned warm and put it back under her bed. There's a lot of wrong and you got to make right once you apologize. I learned that. Tell them what you did. Don't be defensive about it. Don't say nothing they did wrong because this, this is your apology about what you did. 
then you make it right. And by the end of the day, or in my case, by the end of that week, you know, my brother had a wet bike that was hauled out of a lake thanks to Rusty Tidwell and a truck and a trailer hitch and a chain, some duct tape. And for a moment, there was harmony in the trailer. And Tavin could put his head on his pillow, which at the time was a rolled up sleeping bag, and sleep in peace because he did the right thing. I got a cold piece thing I'd drink in the fridge. Paid for it and everything. Tastes good that way. We'll see you. Tavin Dillard, he will be here in March on a Monday night. We hope you come join us, please. A little bit of wisdom there from Tavin. And if you haven't guessed yet what we're talking about today when it comes to unconditional, you might have it now. It is forgiveness. All right, first of all, why don't you turn to Luke chapter 15. Luke 15. We're going to look at some stuff here just for a moment. You know something? Um, I don't know about you, but I absolutely, positively despise losing stuff. Okay? You know, maybe you're that way as well. And, and so often when I lose something, if you're a parent, you understand this. You don't, you don't blame yourself, you know. Everybody else lost it. Okay? But the, the issue is you come to terms with the fact that 95% of the time, you lost it. You did it, and you got no one to blame but yourself. Luke 15 is the lost chapter of the Gospel of Luke. We talked about this in Sunday school this morning. I told you, I told you Dave, we'd be talking about it. Um, first of all, you got a lost sheep. After that, you got a lost coin. And then after that, you've got a lost son. We call this parable of Jesus, by the way, along with the parable of the Good Samaritan, the two by far most well-known parables of Jesus. All right? And, and we call it the prodigal son. I'm not even sure exactly what that means. All right? I kind of like the lost son. The lost son who came back home. Okay? But, but if you want to turn to Luke chapter... 15 and go about halfway through that and just kind of peruse through that. I'm not going to read the whole thing, okay? Because we're going to read some other scripture today. So I'm going to do some summary work for you. Okay, basically the three characters of this story are is a dad, an older brother, and a younger brother. The younger brother comes to dad and he asks for his share of the inheritance. Okay, now we know that this is somewhat insulting because you don't get an inheritance after somebody dies. So basically the son is telling his dad, drop dead. I want my part of the inheritance now. But if you look literally in the Greek to see what inheritance means, it doesn't have to do with death. It means living. Father, dad, I want my share of the living. I want it now. All right? And then he goes and he blows it on worthless and wicked living. Okay? And then what you have is this younger son waking up in a pig sty. All right, now, literally a pig sty, not a bedroom that needs to be cleaned up. All right? He woke up. He's feeding pigs. I mean, this kid went from living high to living high on the hog to living in the hogs. Okay? That's what he went to. And. He woke up, and he looks around, and then he has a second awakening. He, he wakes up, and he's like, what am I doing here? My dad's servants live better than this. I'll go back home, and I will serve my father as one of his slaves. 
And meanwhile, the older brother, he stays home and works. The dad, the father, he stays home and works, but he does something else. He works and he keeps watch, hoping for the day he would see his youngest son come back home. And guess what happens? The youngest son comes back home. And guys, it's, you know the story. It's party time, all right? The dad, no expense, exper- no expense exper- spared. Wow, I don't even know what expared is, okay? And he throws this big, huge party and, and invites everybody to it because his lost son is home again. The older brother, he shows up. He's incredibly frustrated. He's hurt. Mainly, he's jealous. So the dad has a conversation with the older brother and says, Why can you not be happy? Your brother's back home again. And guess what, guys? That's the end of the Hallmark story. We don't know what happens after that. But let's think about... Let's think about, we, we, often we talk about, about the son, the younger son, because we can relate to that. Sometimes we can relate to the older brother who, who has such a judgmental heart. But this, this time, why not we forget about those two for a moment and let's focus on dad here for a second. The younger son, we've already said, has already told him near the beginning of the story, drop dead, dad. I want it now drop dead. And he doesn't spend his, his, his share of the living around that. He leaves and he goes away. I think sometimes we forget about the financial ramifications of this decision by this son. Dad's worked hard a long time worked a long time. He's worked really hard. And a large portion of what he's worked for has now been wasted. Wasted on idiotic living. It's gone. The son comes home. This entire situation for a dad, I can't imagine it not being embarrassing. I'm sure this dad went to the went to the quick stop because that's what dads do when they get old enough that their sons can you know start thinking about an inheritance you know because they're drinking coffee with their friends. How's your son doing? Well, told me to drop dead. Took a lot of money. Left. I've heard stories about what he's doing over there. It's not good. How many of you like to share that story with your buddies in the coffee shop? embarrassing. It's embarrassing. And yet, his boy comes back home and dad forgives it all. Forgives it all. Who's dad in this story? Jesus told this parable and he always assigns he always assigns the characters to real life people. Who's dad? Very good. I heard a lot of children's church. You know, they're still fresh out of children's church, so they were only in there a year or two ago, so they're, they're used to answering that. All right. Right, and I heard a few of you others. Yes, absolutely. The dad is our heavenly father. The father who's ready and willing to 
forgive the lost son who came home. Guys, there's something we got to understand about God. When it comes to God, there is nothing unforgivable when it comes to His unconditional capacity to forgive when dealing with people who are seeking Him. We come home to God. Maybe it's coming back home to God. There's nothing that can separate us from Him if we come back home. His forgiveness is amazing. Got some advice for you. If you ever... Let's, let's talk to you younger people. I don't know how many of you age 40 up are looking for a big career change or anything, but there might be a few of you younger ones in here that might find yourself working at a Bass Pro one day, okay? If you find yourself at Bass Pro working or Cabela's, a little bit of advice for you. Do not tell Brian Bennett when he comes in to take your time when there's 30 minutes before closing time. Don't do it. Because I've witnessed this. I've I've seen what's happened before. Okay? Uh, I've watched this. 30 minutes before closing time, we walk into Bass Pro. As we walk in, we say, I know we know it's getting kind of late. You know, I say, don't worry about it. Take your time. All right? Let me tell you something. Speaking of forgiveness, it wasn't forgiving looks we were given as we exited the building over an hour later. And more than once over that public system, that PA system, we heard this. Bass Pro Shoppers, please head to the registers. Please. Bass Pro Shoppers, please head to the registers. Um, Brian Bennett. Brian, Mr. Brian Bennett. Um, could you please head to the registers? Your last call. Head to the registers. That's something I'd like to read for you. Turn this time. We're still in Luke. Just turn a few pages over, okay? Luke chapter 23. We're going to read about a last call here. Luke 23. Beginning with verse 39. One of the most amazing encounters in all of Scripture right here, folks. One of the criminals who were hanged was there hurling abuse at Jesus. And when I say hanged, I'm talking about hanging on a cross, okay? Saying it to him, you are, are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other criminal answered, rebuking him and said, Do you not even fear God since you're under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed justly For we are receiving what we deserve for our deeds. But this man, this man has done nothing wrong. He was saying, Jesus, remember me when you come in your kingdom. Jesus said to him, truly I say to you, today you shall be with me in paradise. What an amazing encounter few details about this. First of all, I'm just going to tell you straight up. I would not use this as a pattern for living, okay? Because not all of us know when that last call is going to come. 
All right? And even beyond that, this is not a gospel thing here, all right? This, this, this man was saved by the gospel, absolutely, but the gospel hadn't even happened yet. Jesus hadn't even died yet, okay? Jesus is still hanging on the cross beside him. He still needed to die, be buried, raised again, and later go into heaven and be glorified. And then the Holy Spirit come down upon the apostles. And then and only then was the first gospel sermon ever preached. So, we've got to be careful when we look at this. But, at the same time, guys, this is a truly incredible encounter. We have here a man who, by his own admission, is getting what he deserves. He's hanging on a cross, getting what he deserves. And what is he getting? One of the most cruel and unusual punishments of that day and time. This this was a horrible way to die, okay? And he tells the other criminal on the cross, he says... We deserve dying in this way. So that tells me that this is a bad guy, okay? He's hanging on a cross, nailed to a cross, saying, I deserve this. In the midst of his pain, he sees Jesus hanging beside him. I'm guessing both of these men had heard about Jesus before. Either that or they're quick learners, okay? I mean, that's definitely a possibility. They've been on the cross here a while, and Jesus, there's a lot of people hurling abuse at Jesus, and there's people wailing and weeping at the foot of the cross as well. And either they're really, really keen observers here in the midst of incredible pain, or they've heard quite a bit about Jesus before. And in a moment of mental clarity, this criminal looks at Jesus... And he calls on the Savior. Now understand this. He calls on a man who's hanging on a cross. What is John doing in front of the cross? The Apostle John, the writer of one of our Gospels, he's dumbfounded. He's like, what's going on? I don't, I just don't understand. Now, Jesus tried to tell him and the rest of the apostles what was going to happen. But he's just like, I just, I just, how could this be happening? You got a thief on the cross who understands more of the situation than a guy who'd spent three years with Jesus. He sees Jesus hanging on the cross and he says, save me. I don't know about you, but if I wanted to be saved from a really horrible situation, I'm not going to a guy hanging on a cross. What's he, what can he do for me? this man on this cross might have known more about what Jesus was about than even any of his disciples. How did Jesus respond to this late in the game call for mercy? Jesus looked at him and said, you're coming with me, friend. The amazing thing about this And the incredible paradox of the situation is this. Jesus was paying the price for the sins of that man as he spoke the words to him, you're coming with me. Forgiveness. 
know something? The Bible is, is absolutely, positively chock full of forgiveness stories. It really, truly is. And it's an amazing thing. All of those forgiveness stories in the Bible were made possible by Jesus. He paid the price so that we can be forgiven. And His forgiveness is huge. There's two questions that remain today. Question number one. What are we doing with God's offer of forgiveness? We accepted that offer? Remember that first gospel sermon I told you about? Jesus hanging on the cross. That hadn't happened yet, okay? He, he was in the process of paying the price, but he had not made the payment yet. Right? It was truly a matter of weeks later that a group of terrified men became incredibly bold because the Holy Spirit was poured out upon them. And that group began preaching about Jesus and the first gospel sermon ever was preached it was so amazing that as the men preached this sermon these men of Galilee these men of Nazareth as they preached this sermon people from all around that part of the world speaking different languages heard the message they were speaking in their own language from these men who didn't speak that language it's incredible Holy Spirit's incredible. And the people were cut to the heart at the end of that sermon. And obviously Peter kind of takes the forefront. He, he does that, you know. And so, so there were other, the other apostles were preaching too, but Peter's the one that's spoken about. And the crowd, people in the crowd, they say to Peter, what shall we do? Because you know what Peter told him? Um, that guy you put on the cross, he's God. He's alive. And he's coming again. You killed him. They said, what do we do? Cut to the heart. And Peter tells them, Repent and be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins, that you may receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Be baptized. What? What for what? The forgiveness of your sins. That you may receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. What if we done with God's forgiveness? Have we been washed clean, forgiven by the blood of Jesus Christ? But that's not the only question. The second question is vitally important as well. And it's this. How has God's forgiveness changed us? Turn to 1 Timothy. Be near the end of your New Testament, all right? We were kind of close to the beginning. Now we're going to go close to the end of it. If you need to look that up in your concord or in your concordance, in your in your table of contents from the Bible, there's no shame in that, all right? Find it though, because this is important. First Timothy chapter one. 
verses 12 through 17. This is where we gathered everything that we talked about those past few months that Bill was talking about. We, we gathered that information about church leadership from Paul's writing to Timothy. And in that writing to Timothy, he talked a little bit about himself. Paul talked about himself. And this is what he had to say about himself. It might not be exactly what you would expect coming from this, this Paul that we put on a pedestal up here. Because he's the mighty Paul, alright? 1 Timothy 1.12 I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who has strengthened me because he has considered me faithful, putting me into service. Even though I was formerly a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent aggressor, and yet I was shown mercy because I acted ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord was more abundant with the faith and the love which are found in Christ Jesus. It is a trustworthy statement deserving full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, among whom I am foremost of all. And yet, for this reason, I found mercy in order that in me, as the foremost, Christ Jesus might demonstrate His perfect patience as an example for those who would believe in Him for eternal life. Now to the King eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. You know something? I think Paul struggled with forgiving himself. I don't know this for certain, but looking at the words Paul would often use to describe himself, I think he struggled with... For, Paul used words like this. He used words like, the least of every of all the saints, of all the Christians, I'm the least. And he used words like this, of the sinners, I'm the worst. I am the worst. Because he persecuted Jesus when he persecuted the church. This is something about Paul, though, we got to understand. His past did not cripple him. You get that? Folks, this is a bad guy. Christians, the church, were terrified of him. Until Jesus got a hold of him. But it didn't cripple him. It motivated him. And I believe that he learned to forgive himself. You know the key to forgiving myself? You know what it is? It's active change in life. Letting my past motivate me to live better. Because my God loves me anyway and he's forgiven me. Therefore, I need to forgive myself. And I would be willing to bet there are people in this room who've been forgiven by Jesus who've not yet forgiven yourself. And it's crippling. Don't allow. That's not all there is when it comes to forgiving. Turn over to Luke 17. Back to Luke again. I should have had, I'm sorry, I should have had you put a bookmark there, all right? Turn back to Luke 17. Luke 17, 
beginning in verse 3. Jesus has been talking about how stumbling blocks are a bad thing. In other words, people who cause Christians, especially young Christians, to stumble, that's bad news. That's bad news. It'd be better if they had a millstone hung around there and thrown into the sea than, than what's going to happen when Jesus gets a hold of them, all right? But he follows that with this. Verse 3. Be on your guard. If your brother sins, rebuke him, and if he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times a day and returns to you seven times saying, I repent, forgive him. Quick little question there. Look very closely at verse 4. He sins against you seven times in a day, returns to you seven times, and repents. Forgive him. Is that what it says? Look closely. Returns to you seven times saying, I repent. You ever had somebody apologize to you and they weren't really apologizing to you? You ever had somebody say, I'm sorry, and for some odd reason you just couldn't quite see that it was sincere? Have you ever been there before? That's what's crazy to me. It doesn't say he sins against you seven times a day and returns to you seven times to say, and, and he repents, forgive. No, it says saying that he repents. He might not even mean it. What are you supposed to do? Well, I'm only going to forgive him if he means it, right? No. It says forgive him. Again and again and again and again. How many times... How many of you in this room have had somebody do the same thing to you that was awful seven times in one day? Anybody? A few of you? A few of you? How many times? Did you forgive him every time? You know, what the, you know what the disciples say to this? This is crazy. This just blows my mind. What do the disciples say? The apostle said to the Lord, increase our faith. We can't do it, Lord. You're telling me to forgive him seven times for doing the same thing to me. And he comes up and says, I'm sorry. Does it again. I'm sorry. Does it again. I'm sorry. Does it again. Seven times. And I'm supposed to forgive him. Can't do it. Increase our faith. You know what Jesus does? He tells a story after this. And do you know what that story's about? It's not about faith. It's about obedience. Jesus says, you don't need more faith to do this. You need to obey me. What should you do? Yeah. You forgive. The disciples are like, okay. All right. There's sometimes that Jesus says something and you're like, I wish I could understand it better. And there's sometimes that Jesus says something and you wish, I wish I didn't understand that. And if that's not enough, let's wrap up with Matthew 6. Matthew 6, being verse 9, we get what we call the Lord's Prayer. And it's interesting to me that the Lord's Prayer, there's a part in this about forgiveness. And Jesus follows that with this. 
Verse 14. For if you forgive men for their sins against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men, then your Father will not forgive your sins. Okay. How difficult is that to understand? It's like, okay, Jesus, could you just be a little more clear? I'm not quite getting it. Okay, you're saying, I have to forgive in order for you to forgive. That doesn't make sense. (laughs) And Jesus like, "Uh, that's not a parable. I understand I speak in parables sometimes. It's a little tricky sometimes, you know. It's, it's not a parable. You want to be forgiven? You forgive. You don't want to be forgiven by me, by my Father? You don't forgive. Simple as that. God's forgiveness, folks, is amazing. It's huge. For those seeking him, it's unconditional. What about our capacity for forgiveness? Do we need more faith? Are we going to be like Peter, James, and John and say, Increase our faith, God! I need some help here. And you know what Jesus is going to say back to us? just need to do what I'm telling you to do. Forgive. Just stand with us, please. We take a close look at forgiveness, our side of forgiveness every now and again, and there's a good reason for that, because it's not easy to do, all right? And most of the time, if you're anything like me, when I read passages of Scripture like this, the Lord, by the power of the Holy Spirit, brings people into my mind that have hurt me. And the Spirit does that for a reason. Not so that I can beat them up again in my brain, all right? so that I'll forgive them. And if you're in that place today, you need to obey. I need to obey. God will help you with it. He will. If you're here today and you have not forgiven yourself, you're a follower of Jesus, but you haven't forgiven yourself. Guys, God knows everything about you. He knows more about you than you know. And He forgives you. Are you saying you're smarter than God? God doesn't know this about me. Because I can't forgive myself for this. Yes, He does. And you're not smarter than him. And you're forgiven. 
if you've never accepted God's offer for forgiveness through Jesus Christ, you are unforgiven. And you do not want to meet Jesus as an unforgiven person. Maybe today is the day you step into the water. If the Lord's working on your heart, do not leave today. We're going to pray. We're going to bring some music up. The front half of this room is going to filter back. Please do that, guys, and leave plenty of room for anybody up here who might need to talk about forgiveness or something else because the Spirit works that way sometimes, all right? But don't leave here if God's speaking to you without doing something about it. Would you pray with me, please? Father God, we come before you, and Lord, we don't know how to say thank you the type of forgiveness that you have given. There's no thank you that's big enough, Lord. Father, help us to forgive others. Help us to forgive ourselves, Lord, for followers of Jesus Christ. Let's understand that we've been made righteous people by Jesus' blood. Lord, help us to take very seriously Jesus' challenge of forgiveness. Lord, it is sometimes really hard on us to forgive those who've hurt us. Those who've disappointed us. But Lord, help us to be mindful of the fact that nobody has disappointed us more than we disappointed you. And you still went to the cross for us. Help us to forgive others, Lord. We pray this in the name of Jesus.